TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. And we continue looking at the current situation in the Ukraine. And with us right now is Miriam Kops, executive director of Tikva Odessa. And while they are an orphanage home, they had about 300 orphans, but there are also a lot more than just an orphanage, which we're going to find out. So Miriam spoke today at Ohev Tzedek in Manhattan, where I heard her speak so passionately and so warmly and, and, and important. I think people were mesmerized by what she had to say, and that's why uh, we're having her on the broadcast tonight. So, Miriam, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hi, how are you? Shua Tov. Shua Tov. So tell us about the Tikva Odessa. I know it's, I mentioned that it's an orphanage of about 300 uh, young people between zero well, less than you know less than a year's age so about 18 19 years old it's been around for a while it's an amazing story so let's start with that sure um so as i was saying earlier this evening um tikva started after the collapse of the soviet union as as you're all aware so a gentleman by the name of rabbi Bakht, who uh was was working with orsa at the time went to odessa to revive the jewish community uh, you know, during the during Soviet rule, there wasn't uh, the opportunity to practice religious freedom, and um, you know, with the with the fall of the Iron Curtain, it was an opportunity to revive the Jewish community. So when he went there, um, he found that there was still a, a remnant community. Men were gathering to daven uh, weekly. Uh, as I was describing earlier this evening, that uh, you you can, you can actually still see in the center of Odessa, there's a shul that used to be intact, and it almost looks like. Uh, somebody took a big knife and sliced it down the middle. Um, the community, right, what happened was that it had collapsed because of a fire from a, from a matzah factory, a small matzah factory. And they uh, they fixed up the wall and you almost have a half a shul. And that's where people were davening at the time. And um, so there was definitely a desire to continue Judaism. But what, what Rabbi Bach found was that there were so many uh, children or grandchildren of these people who were left to live in state-run orphanages and you, I'm getting a lot of questions nowadays because you're seeing so many reports of orphans coming out of Odessa, Ukraine. And people are asking, well, coming out of Ukraine, people are asking, why are there so many orphans in Ukraine? And, you know, I always say the first question is, why are there so many Jewish orphans in Ukraine? So the first thing you have to understand is how many Jewish people were still living in Ukraine after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So I think people underestimate that even just in the Odessa region, there were at least 45,000 Jews still living there. Uh, we can go back hundreds of years and talk about how Catherine the Great offered for the locals uh, all over Europe to come and start building lives for themselves in the Odessa region, offering them a tax-free opportunity to build up businesses. So you had a lot of entrepreneurial, uh, sophisticated, artistic uh, people coming to Odessa looking for opportunity. Um, when you know in the early 1800s it was it was a land filled with dirt, and then people took this. And even if you go today, you'll see architecture from so many different regions of Europe. You'll see uh, Italian architecture and Turkish architecture all on one block because of uh, what an eclectic group of people had gathered. So uh, a lot of Jewish people from the Pale of Jewish Settlement gathered there. Uh, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, once the government turned its back on its people, so to speak, and there was no infrastructure, uh, we know that they went from poor to more poorer. And so many people turned to drugs and alcoholism. Uh, there became so much mental distress and instability um, that I, I would say, you know, p- parents couldn't handle their children anymore. 
either they would leave them to fend for themselves or uh, whatever was left of a, of a government authority would take children out of the care of their parents because they weren't considered fit to parent. And those children would end up in state-run orphanages. And um, this, as the story goes, or you know, as, as, as when you speak to Rivox, he explains how, how incredible it was. When he first got there, there was one hour of water and electricity a day. So he and his wife, Hasi, would have to prepare for Shabbos in that one hour's time. And um, that that just describes to you how abandoned it was of a place to, to the people. And he decided to open up a school in 1994 for, for the boys' yeshiva. And he started with a with a, a handful of boys, about 25 or so boys. And uh, the following year, he started a school for girls. And uh, many of many as the school grew, he started to see that many of the Jewish students coming at the end of the day were going back home to one of these state run orphanages. And the conditions there were were really horrific. Um, Of course, I know so many children who now now they're young adults and they tell the stories of how if we didn't behave, we would be forced to sit in the back. And if you sit in the back, you don't get food that day. And sometimes the counselors would take the meat that are that's meant for the children. They would give it to their dogs. And one boy was describing that to, to cure themselves of the pangs of hunger, they would sniff permanent markers so that they can get a little bit of a high and not feel the pain of the hunger. Um, so my box turned to one of the directors uh, who was a gentleman who was an expert in, in document research. And he said, just do me a favor, find me, find me 25 Jewish boys. I have the funding and I can put beds I could create, I could create a, a, a dormitory situation in this school. And um, so this man named Sasha Zetchev, he, he found, uh, after going through documents and documents, discovering which of the children are Jewish, he said, right, Box, they found 23 Jewish boys. And it was easy to find like? because in yeah. the Ukraine, you had the identity papers in those days where you put down Ukrainian or Russian or Kazakh and said Jews. So it certainly was used to discriminate against the Jews. But here you're able to identify the Jews because they had the papers, right? Exactly. The KGB's ability to keep meticulous uh, records works to the benefit of an organization looking to help strictly Jewish children. Um, yes, uh, and, and exactly. Um, people do ask, how do you know that they're Jewish? It's they, they made it very easy for us. You're identified as either a Ukrainian or, or a Jew. Now, these and, are uh, words of the state, so they had to give permission to let these Jewish kids out because, technically speaking, the state uh, was in charge of them. Yeah, if you, are you talking about right now during the the evacuation, or I'm talking about in those days? I'm we're going to get. To oh the- yeah, absolutely, sure, sure, yes, of course. Um, so fast forward a little bit in 1999, a gentleman by the name of Rafael Kriskal also joins along, um, and he has been by the side of the community ever since. He's actually with them right now in Romania, which we'll get to. Um, he, um, uh, yeah, he. They have a very good relationship with the, with the locals, and there's a, there's a mutual respect and understanding. Uh, and we we are thankful to the Ukrainian government for giving us permission to look to look after their children. And um, and yeah, so he Sasha Zetchev said, I, "I have 20 23 Jewish boys. What do you want me to do with their 26 sisters?" So immediately they um, they created a living situation for for these boys and these girls, and that's how we call it Tikva Orphanage. But it's not really an orphanage; it's more of a boarding school. And the word they use in the region is called an internat. But the, um, they're not orphans. Some of them are, but the, the, the parents who abandoned their kids, really, right? Is that really what... correct? So ch- children will come for, to Tikva for a number of reasons, or you know, eventually now they'll come directly. It doesn't necessarily go through the state-run orphanage, but it's um, either because they were uh, given up by the parents 
or the parents um, were considered unfit parents or the parents are completely gone. We have definitely a number of children whose parents are deceased. Um, and, the, you know, some people say that the parents ever come back for the kids. Um, there are definitely situations where a parent will visit a child every now and again. Um, but for the most part, um, it's, it's not the case. The children become children of, of Tikva. Um, and since then, we've, we've seen children grow through the system. More than a thousand children have, have passed through the homes. Um, we're talking, you know, we're talking 25 years now. I personally have had the, the you know, the stress of seeing kids go from, you know, kind of standoffish, shy, maybe a little bit angry, even 10 year olds. Uh, and there's one, one woman in particular, it warms my heart because I, I went back after a 10 year uh, period and I saw her pushing around a baby stroller, uh, a really loving, kind, caring mother. And what I, what I've always found that was so amazing about the organization is that Tikva gives a lot of love uh, to the children and it's not just covering the basics. They really want each child to feel like a mensch. So it's funny because people always want to donate their used clothing, but the way we see it is we want the child to feel as normal as one could possibly feel having not been raised by a parent. <clears throat> so we, we like to take the children shopping for themselves, we like to pick their clothing and, and see what works for them. And, and I, I see that it really does pay off because you see the love uh, that a parent gives a child that can really only come when your own love cup has been filled. Um, and, and that's really, that's, it, it's kind of a Westernized approach to, to, to raising children. I don't know that it's typical to, to that part of the world. Um, you know, listening to what the child, how the child feels, approaching, approaching the psychological standpoint. The school actually, it's, um, it's more than just a home for about 300 children today. It, it, it expands to a school because many of the children who grew up in the homes stuck around and became part of the Tikva community. And they, they feel that this is, their, this is their home. These are their brothers. These are their sisters. Um, and the children, the new children who come into the homes, we call them our new intakes, they're, they're their children as well. So the same person who was raised by, by, the, by the orphanage is now helping run the orphanage to some extent. Um, that's why you have so a, that's, not just the orphans it's or the kids who are in the orphanage is they stay they be they feel a community they feel a sense of belonging because i even after they leave and they get married they have really no community if their parents abandon them or they don't have parents may not have relatives so in a sense you've fulfilled that that void in their lives absolutely and it's, it's exactly as you say it's filling a void because i remember Roy crone once saying um that uh, he was talking about being an orphan and how he says that it, it, it changes something in you. And Hashem says that you look out for, for the orphans and the, and the, the widows and the, you know, the converts. And there really is a hole that, that, that a person has in them when they're, when they're growing up without an actual parent. And, um, you know, we, we, it, originally our mission was to get these children to the age of 17 and uh, encourage them to continue a life in Israel. But uh, what, what we ended up seeing was it wasn't for everybody to be, to be sent off on your own into a foreign country, unfortunately. And some, some children turn to filling that hole with the same vices that, that got their parents through whatever pain they went through. So we've, we've come to see that a sense of family and a sense of belonging is so crucial to, you know, not just a, a healthy and happy childhood, but to an adulthood as well. And to giving a, a young parent the tools that that parent needs to raise a child with love and, and compassion. So yeah, what you have today is a, is a community. It's it's not just a three hundred child orphanage. And it's not just a school for nine hundred kids. It's it's a community where if a, if a mom has a baby, the the other mom is going to send food to uh, 
the way, the way we do it in our community over here, you have a chassid community and they have a great chalabake on, um, you know, that a couple of times a year. They do a Shabbos Kiddush at the local shul. So it's a real sense of belonging. And um, I really think that that's, that's part of the success of Tikva. But unfortunately, that's come to an end because you had to evacuate. So tell us about the evacuation and where did they go and what's happening with this 300 member or 300 i'm calling them orphans because that's what they yeah. but for mm-hmm. lack of a better term but but also the people that that were connected to tick where do they go what's the status so it's interesting um you know the i think like many people we weren't really sure that this was going to happen this war was going to happen we, we, we were prepared um we worked really hard to we worked with an israeli uh, uh security consulting firm that advised us on, on this disaster preparedness and to have uh, buses, fuel, uh, a certain supply of food. Um, we secured locations for lodging in the event that, that something like this was going to happen. And we all kind of looked at each other like, this seems a bit excessive, right? And what are the chances? But then we told ourselves, hey, we thought the same thing about COVID, right? Um, on February 24th, um, the first group of, of people evacuated, and those were people made up of those intact families. Um, they went as a group, people where there's, there's parents and children. And we also are university age children, the, you know, the, what we call orphans ages 17 to 21. Once, once you're able to um, make your own decisions uh, legally, they, they went as a group to Moldova. Uh, Rafael Kriskal, Roy Bakst and Jeremy Posen, they, they stayed behind in Odessa, really just trying to wait and see what was going to happen next. Um, should we go? Shouldn't we go? It was difficult because uh, when you're talking about the children who are between ages zero and 17, <clears throat> they don't really have the documentation to leave the country. But when uh, Rafal heard that the, the first bomb near, it was about a half a mile, which is half a kilometer from the, um, the girls' home uh, went off and the girls were really traumatized and crying. He said, whatever we do, we got to get out of here. We can't, we can't just sit and wait for the worst. So uh, it was Friday morning when they boarded the buses um, and they took those 180 children plus additional community members uh, plus staff and just started driving. And I think that, you know, there's a video that, that went viral where you'll see that they pulled over to the side of the road to make Kiddush, but they knew that it was Pikuach Nefesh. They, were, they had to fend for their lives and keep going, even though they were driving on Shabbos. And they ended up in Western Ukraine Um in kind of near Munkach in that, in that region. Uh, and they stopped right there because they didn't know when or how they were going to be able to get, get over the border. And Rafal didn't, and, and, and rightfully so, he wasn't about to get uh, you know, a bunch of two-year-olds onto a bus to drive for another seven hours just to be turned back around. Um, so the, even after that first group uh, you know, went to Western Ukraine, the first group, second group went to Western Ukraine, there were still some young couples who chose to stay in Odessa saying, don't worry, it's going to be fine. We'll see you, you know, you'll see in a couple of days, but it was only a matter of time before those couples realized that things weren't getting better. And they, uh, you know, we had to arrange for buses to go back and get the rest of those kids. Um, and thankfully we, we had the resources to help uh, people from, you know, other parts of the area as well. So uh, now we have uh, that, that group, Baruch Hashem, uh, they were able to cross the border. Problems Cause you have people that are maybe, 20 to 60 years of age, which uh, officially can't leave Ukraine because they need them for the army. So did you have any yeah. difficulty with getting them over the border? Yeah. Yes. Um, we, unfortunately, we also had to split some families apart where the, the mothers and children, you know, those who didn't get through prior to that rule, 
we're, we're stuck on the other side of the border. So families had to make some difficult decisions about whether or not they were going to stick together or split up. Um, the easy, I wouldn't say it was the easiest, but the first negotiation, um, and we're very thankful to the Ukrainian government for allowing us to bring the children over the border to safety, were, were the kids who were, uh, you know, zero to 17. And then uh, a little while later, we were able to bring the others over. And now everybody's reunited now in Romania. Uh, and uh, the whole crew kind of the men out too. to, uh... yeah, we all, we ultimately were able to get, I would, yeah, we were ultimately able to get the husbands of these families, the fathers of these families um, and, um, and the older kids, I would call them reunited with the community. We're speaking with Miriam Copps, the executive director of Tikva Odessa. And as you heard, uh, they have orphans or kids who were abandoned or don't have any parents um, and over 300 were taken out and on buses. I, I think there were buses that that, that took them, right? Uh, that's what yes, they, yes. Mm-hmm. Were they twenty five thousand dollars a pop? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, oh uh, the God. prices started jumping dramatically uh, for buses, for fuel, for personnel. Uh, you know, there were we had security guards who, you know, one by one were being picked off, drafted into the army. So we had to find replacements, and uh, we recall he. he we felt here in the States that you have to do whatever it takes. Uh, we, we looked at it as, you know, redemption of, of captives. It's Pijun Shriyam, it's Pikuach Nefesh, and just get these kids out, get them out safely, and we'll figure the rest out later. And um, so we're looking, and now, at, yeah. we're looking at the rescue of, of these orphans and the community, Tikva Odessa, in, of course, uh, the Ukraine. Yeah. Ladies, here on the Talkline Network. America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. With us for a little while longer, we're looking at the rescue efforts that are taking place in Ukraine. With us is Miriam Kops, Executive Director of Tikva Odessa. And as you heard, they are rescuing and evacuating people who are in the orphanage from less than a year old to seven years of age and also their dependents and families that are surrounding the Tikva Odessa community. From what I understand, Miriam, pretty much the they've been the community has been almost kept intact because you're traveling together as opposed to scattering them at different locations. Yes, that's correct. Uh we, we did have a we do have a few people still left in Odessa uh, who couldn't travel for, for one reason or not. We just did a bris uh, for one of our, uh, you know, our school graduates in, in Odessa on Friday, so um, that was done kind of uh, in, a, in a stealthy way, and um, at the at the shul where the lights were on for for just a couple of hours for the first time in weeks. But otherwise, yes, the community is together. Thank God, intact in Romania. A few of our couples did go on to Israel, uh, but for the most part, people are opting to stick together. Now, are you doing this on your own? You mentioned you had Israeli security. Are you working in tandem with other groups that are on the ground in the Ukraine or groups in the United States? Tell us about it. Um, uh, so Rafael Kreskal has been working um, more, more just as a, 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 as a collaborative effort so that we could. I, I, heard, I heard somebody mentioning earlier well, we don't duplicate efforts. Um, he has been working with, um, because we had the buses, and the extra food and the reserved spaces. He has been working with, um, you know, the Chabad community, IFCJ, International Fellowship of Christians and Jews, the JDC, um, to just 
coordinate our efforts um, and everybody's been working together really beautifully in trying to get out as many people as possible as needed. Um, but but as far as right there goes, um, in Romania, it's it's pretty much just the Tikva community. We did leave some of our staff in Kishinev to try to assist in uh, bringing people over the border and and being there prepared for them to acclimate them to what you know this new refugee life. Uh, but no, for the most part, uh, it's just Tikva in the, in this Romanian um, location. Wow. What is the biggest challenge that you have in coordinating everything on the ground right now? So uh, it, it's interesting because we really just got the last of our group over the border. Um, it was on Thursday. Uh, so it re- really until Thursday, uh, it was very hard to breathe, not knowing if we were going to get all of our, our family back together again. We are our biggest challenge is really just not knowing what what comes next. Uh, we're coming. Perm is coming up. Uh, it's usually a really really big time for our community. Um, I, I I don't have the photos that I could pull up right here, but it's one of the most exciting times for the Tikva community. Uh, Perm and Pesach uh, usually couple together. Uh, it's a really festive time that everybody gets together in the shul. Uh, they hear the Megillah. They're dressed up. They have a great party. Uh, the kids love dressing up in costume. Um, you know, and, and now we're, we're, we're faced with uh, a situation where we don't know what, what it's going to be like on firm. We don't know where we're going to be for Pesach. Um, I'd say the children are very resilient. They think that this is a trip. They want to go, they play, they're playing soccer outside, but I think it's, it's, the, it's the couples and families that are really concerned for what, what comes next. Where are we going to be? Uh, am I going to be, you know, washing my laundry in a sink for, for much longer? Um, am I going back to my home in Odessa? Uh, it, so it's really just the uncertainty that's the biggest challenge. Um, and you know, Rafal's been, he, he's rest assured that he has the support of, of his Jewish family around the world, that he should continue to try to normalize things as much as possible for the community and give them, uh, you know, the Simcha and, and the Shabbos and the activities and the education where our staff is with us. They're continuing to teach the kids. Um, so the biggest, the biggest challenge is just, to keep to keep people's spirits up during all this uncertainty, which is the hardest part. Uh, to, yeah, you know, it's uh, certainly it's it's just uh, mind-boggling. Now, you made a good point tonight that I wanted you to share with our audience: is that Purim is coming up, and people have an opportunity. They want to give out, you know, uh, whether it's shalach manos, matanos of yonim gifts, you know, to the needy, and who who are more needy than right now than people in Ukraine. Where even those that were wealthy had to give up their apartments, their clothing, their possessions. They literally went with perhaps their coat and shirts on their back, but very little else. So they, for all intents and purposes, they're all destitute. It's 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 really chilling because yeah, I, I think about it from my perspective and how much I've invested in my own home, uh, you know, and and I always think that's that's my if I ever had to just take out a mortgage, you know, um, this is it. They, oh, their, their entire life savings, uh, every toy they ever scraped together, the money to buy for their children, they just left their lives behind, not knowing if they're going to ever see their homes again. Uh, not more than a bag per person. Uh, pretty much like, you know, the, the exodus from Egypt. They just, they went in a hurry. And um, yeah, they, they, they left with nothing. Uh which which is the desperate situation so i know you're helping them is anybody helping you money-wise 
to help them and so uh we're we have been getting a really you know a really uh, an outpouring of support from individuals all over the all over the country um through social media we're seeing a bunch of small donations come in uh, some bigger some smaller um you know the the expense is pretty pretty tremendous when we're talking about caring for 800 people uh from scratch even even you know the the place where they're staying right now isn't set up for the winter it's it's meant to be a summer place so there's no heating and it's pretty cold so we you know we had to quickly buy heaters um food is obviously is an expense our staff our security the lodging itself is an expense but i would love to you know we're 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 pulling together resources to to make uh, perm extra special um and yeah we are we're we're seeing a lot of support from all over from individuals uh not not as much from foundations but but please god as as the word gets out we'll be able to 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 gain some support and it's not really just about today i i do feel that as long as we're in the news um as long as as long as uh, this this war gets a lot of media attention uh, you know it won't be too difficult to to get that um that support but i'm really worried about the future of these families and what happens in a month from now how do you how do you give a person a new home how do you educate a person in a new language um how do you set somebody up for a successful future somebody who was a you know an engineer in their country what are they going to do in america or in israel or wherever they end up um some people are hoping to still be able to go back but it's really too soon to tell and uh yes to, to your point about matanas levionim um it's it's very hard for me to say this uh because we're talking about my friends here and and people that I know and that I love and that I watch grow up and become self-sufficient but unfortunately these people have fallen into a situation where where they are of you and them at hopefully hopefully not for too long but at the moment yes so people want to know are you able if people make a donation the next couple of days that you can guarantee that they they'll be distributed on perm yes absolutely we uh, everything that comes into our account uh we still have the ability to wire it directly to Rafael <clears throat> thank god that, that that hasn't been interrupted and we can absolutely earmark it so that it's distributed on uh on perm to the families in need in fact i, I i'm pretty sure we haven't we haven't even done our shopping spree yet for for these families who left with nothing and we do want these families to be able to go out and buy buy something to wear um you know uh, feel like a mensch again to some extent Uh, and we can absolutely make sure that if it's as long as it's you know noted that it's for Matanas Levy and we would 100% be able to distribute accordingly. So if people want to help out uh, the Tikva Odessa and they want to give whether it's perm you give you even after perm too. I'm sure they're going to need it for Pesach. They're going to need uh, perm. yeah. Well, how can people learn more about Tikva? How can people contribute to what you're doing? Uh, so we have a website tikvaodessa.org. Um, T-I-K-V-A Odessa O-D-E-S-S-A dot org. And um it's 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 an informative site. <clears throat> Through that site, you can also contact this this the three of us in the US uh who handle the uh the communications and the fundraising. So chances are you'll get me or one of two other well, one of one of two others. Um and we're in direct contact with the people on the ground. We speak to Rafael and Roy Bach on a daily basis. And and Let's the kids. So the number and the email information one more time. Okay, so the the phone number I what's that? For the website, yes. It's it's tikvaodessa.org or 917-262-8. an H in there without an H. No H, no H. Tikva T I K V A Odessa O D E S S A dot org. And also if you email info at tikvaodessa.org, you'll get one of us. 
Um, we do have a phone number that we try to make it easy to remember. It's 917-262-1818 for life. Um, 917-262-1818. It's been the same skeleton crew um, uh, here in the U.S. all this time. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm awake right now because I, I feel a personal obligation to my, my family over there. Um, that any opportunity we have to spread the word on their behalf, um, we have to. It's it's our it's just our obligation. So Mary, uh, I'm not turning. Yeah, I know you're doing a, such an important work. I want to thank you for your dedication and for what you're doing, uh, really helping the, the, the orphans. I and mean, what and that's uh, such a it's a big mitzvah to do, and really big to help everybody, especially the orphans. And you're doing that. The Tick for Odessa has been there for. A number at least 20 some years helping out and now unfortunately they're scattered but they're trying to stay together as a community as much as possible so thank you for your service thank you for what you're doing thank you for having me one of the most important jewish institutions in the world today is talk line with zeb Brana. he is so smart and he is so innovative and he has so many interesting guests i don't know what yiddishkeit i don't know what new york i don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Are you interested in hosting your own radio show and podcast or perhaps a TV program? Talkline Network can help you get on the air from one hour weekly to 24 hours a day. Ideal for ethnic, foreign language, medical, business, and religious broadcasting. We also have full-time radio stations for lease, as well as FMHD channels. For more information, please call 212-769-1925. That's 212-769-1925. Or email zevrenner at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the TalklineNetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.